0: Well, my name is uh, Dave Hine for you that don't know me, and I'm uh, filling in today for Bob Miller. Bob and Steve Nichols just went, took a trip to Nicaragua where they did some serving and uh, a lot of just kind of looking at uh, what is going on in Nicaragua. We're going to try to be involved with an orphanage there in Nicaragua. And so they're trying to lay some groundwork, get the lay of the land, and um, visited with Bob just a little bit last night. He said the need there is great. And uh, so I'm just really excited about their opportunity to go there, and thank you for your service to the kingdom and to Wellspring. I just appreciate uh, you guys going, uh, taking that trip. Well, today is Palm Sunday, and we're going to take a look at Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. We're going to take a look at the, the, the Palm Sunday account from Scripture um, and so just before we get started, I'm just going to go ahead and read that Aaron is going to read this for us. If you want to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, in your Pew Bible, it is page 685. We're going to go ahead and read that account. Aaron's going to read that for us. go ahead. Right. Okay, thank you you know there is so much going on here um, really there's so much that culminates with this scripture with this account really from from all of scripture so much comes to a, a point comes to a head right here and not really just scripture but really all of literature there are so many themes that really culminate here as we see Jesus rising uh, riding into Jerusalem um You know, one thing that I want to do before we really take a look at this account is I want to take a look back, actually, because there is so much drama happening here. And I didn't really realize this until I started looking at this more carefully, uh, studying, getting ready for uh, the message this morning. And um, I listened to a sermon by a man named Tim Keller, and I'll have a few quotes uh, from him up here as we go on and read some, um, some other sermons and things getting ready for this. But There's so much drama going on here, and I want to set that up for us a little bit, and I think to really set it up, we almost need to look back right before the triumphant entry. If you look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 29, it's what happens right before he enters. Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples, and as often was the case, people were you know, following him and around him. There was this kind of buzz about the miracles that he had been doing, the things that he had been saying. And so Jesus is leaving Jericho, and there are these two uh, guys that are blind outside of Jericho, and they shout out. If you want to look uh, at, at chapter 20, verse 30 there, it says, Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. When they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And it said that they kind of quieted, the people around quieted him, they shushed him, they rebuked him. But they shouted out even more the louder, Lord, have mercy on us. Son of David, have mercy on us. And then Jesus said this, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. They wanted to receive their sight. Then Jesus heals them. Now, I've read that before, and you might not catch all the drama that's going on there at first look, but there's a lot happening here, because this was the first time in Scripture that Jesus really allowed himself to be called this, son of David. And the people of the time knew what that meant, because they knew that the final king, the king of kings, the savior, the Messiah that they had been waiting for, was to, be, was to come from the line of David, was to be to come from the lineage of David. So they knew what this meant. These guys are basically crying out, Messiah, final king, savior, redeemer, the one that we have been waiting for. Have mercy on us. And Jesus answered, yes, that's who I am. This is the first time that this has happened in Scripture where Jesus has answered yes to that question. Now the disciples had to be going, okay, finally, (laughs) You know, they knew, they had seen Jesus and the miracles that he had been doing. They knew who Jesus was, but he had not allowed himself to be called that. He had not proclaimed that yet. Now all of a sudden, he proclaims, yes, this is who I am. And they had to be terrified and wonderfully excited about this because the disciples had to know that the pace was picking up the march towards the finish line right here, that things were happening To make that kind of proclamation and what that was going to bring and what was going to happen, that all of a sudden, wow, Jesus is starting to force our hands here. The pace is quickening to the finish line. He has come out and said, yes, I am the Messiah. I am the one that you've been waiting for. That is me. And maybe the hair was standing up on the back of their necks because they were like, wow, this is probably going to end in triumph or tragedy. Things are happening here. So as Jesus leaves Jericho, we kind of see what happened. That kind of sets up some of the drama as we go towards Jerusalem. So as we get towards Jerusalem, we'll pick it up where, where Aaron was reading. It so says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there. With her Colt by her, unite them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them. There's a couple of small villages right outside of Jerusalem, Bethpage and Bethany. And if you remember, a couple important people lived, or some important people lived in Bethany. Jesus spent time there. Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Bethany was the place where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. So the people of Bethany and Bethpage, right outside of Jerusalem, they were familiar with Jesus. He spent time there. They knew of him. If there were people in that region that were ready to be on board and proclaim him king, it was was the folks that lived right here in these two villages. You know, I don't know about you, but I've always looked at the Palm Sunday account from Scripture, as Jesus just kind of happened into this. Have you ever kind of thought that like Jesus was walking into Jerusalem, and then all of a sudden there were these people and they were raising they were they had the palm branches and they were singing and and they were praising him, and then Jesus was just kind of found himself in this place, kind of going, Wow, well, oh shucks, gosh i don 't know i didn't this is a great turnout, I guess well, maybe <laughs> okay, maybe I should say a few things. I mean, I, you know, I've always kind of thought that that's how the Palm Sunday narrative went. But it's very clear that Jesus is orchestrating all of this. <laughs> he is in total control. He didn't just find himself in the middle of a parade, okay? He is orchestrating it. He knows the people of Bethpage and Bethany. He asked them to go get a donkey And and he says, go get the donkey, and if somebody asks you what you want it for, tell them that the Lord needs it, okay? So he's not only orchestrating what he's riding in on, he's orchestrating this parade as as he's coming in. And he's forcing the hand of the people. He's forcing us to deal with who he is, basically, as he's entering into Jerusalem. Now, I want to stop and I want to ask you a question. Why a donkey? <laughs> Interesting choice of transportation. <laughs> why do you think, why, why, why a donkey? Why, did, why does Jesus go and he, he wants to ride in on a donkey? Why do you think that is? Just throw that out. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, really the, the number one thing to fulfill this prophecy there are all these prophecies about the coming Messiah in the Old Testament. Many prophecies and Jesus fulfilled those prophecies, and we see another one here. It actually comes from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, where it says, "Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey." So that's right, it was to fulfill a prophecy. Why else do you think that was, yeah? Great. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. People were expecting their Messiah, their king, to ride in on a military horse to change the government, to, to overthrow what was going on, and that's not, that's not who he was. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great perfect. I'm going to stop there. You really said that well. That was excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, all of those things um, are so important to what we're going to continue to talk about. We're going to touch on the themes that that you guys uh, mentioned right there. I want to look at a couple things. What does all this mean? Here comes Jesus. He orchestrates this entry into Jerusalem He just had proclaimed, yes, I am the king, the final king, the Messiah, the redeemer, the one that you've been waiting for. He's coming into Jerusalem. He's got this parade of people with palm branches. They're laying their cloaks down. They're praising him. And here he comes riding in on a donkey. (laughs) What does all this mean to us? Well, a couple things. One is, I think Jesus is saying to us, I am a king, but not a king like you think. I am a king, but not the king that you think. Because Jesus is unbelievably humble. He's unbelievably humble. But there's a great paradox going on here, isn't there? I mean, there's the king riding in on a donkey in the middle of this parade. Um, Tim Keller had an interesting quote from this. I wanted to put it up on the screen, uh, if you could, Eli. It says, Jesus Christ is tremendously humble, but not at all modest. He's tremendously humble, but not at all modest. When Jesus is dealing with people, he's unbelievably humble, isn't he? He's caring, he's kind, he's forgiving. He's gentle, he's inquisitive, he asks questions. He's a servant, he's just. He's unbelievably humble, but not at all modest. (laughs) Because he says, I am the king, the ultimate king. You look through scriptures and he's always pointing us towards that. I am the king. In fact, you don't have to really necessarily look there, but right after this account, Jesus is at the temple of God right after this. And if you know that story, he clears out the temple because they're using the temple for the wrong purposes. And he says, This is my house. <laughs> this is my house. So, not at all modest, is he? Unbe- unbelievably humble. Uh, Tim Keller had another quote that that uh, I thought was pretty uh, poignant. In all of Scripture, he is the most immodest person that ever lived. He is always proclaiming his identity to us, always confronting, always arranging, always making sure we hear it. He will not slip into Jerusalem. I love that. I love that he is not going to just slip into Jerusalem. He's not going to come in the back gate at night into Jerusalem. He's not. Because all of Scripture, he's always pointing us towards who he is. His identity is king. And in a lot of ways, as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, he is forcing the hands of the people. And in a lot of ways, I think he's saying this, you can crown me or you can kill me. He's really forcing the hand. It's very confrontational. It's very confrontational what he's doing here, and in a lot of ways, I think he says, crown me or kill me, as he comes riding in on the donkey. And really, a lot of this comes full circle. If you remember when we first started talking about the kingdom of God, Bob um, talked about a, um, not a confrontation, but a conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, an encounter that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus, who was... A, uh, a religious person, the religious leader of the time. And Nicodemus, Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and he's asking these questions. And Jesus says, unless you are born again, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You will not see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. And of course, Nicodemus was kind of like, well, I, you can't crawl back into your mother's womb. Like, what are you talking about? And basically, Jesus was saying this, unless I am king in your life, unless I am king unless I am on the throne of your life, unless you accept me, follow me, and you begin to see your whole world through a different lens, through my lens, unless you do that, you will not see the kingdom of God. And Bob even said that at the beginning, if you remember, saying, you know, if you've never really decided to make Christ king in your life, you're probably gonna have a hard time really grasping the concepts of the kingdom of God. And we talked about all these great things Characteristics of the kingdom of God, you know, it's loving and forgiving and kind and generous and patient, and it is just. How Jesus was helpful to orphans and widows and, and the poor and the oppressed and the downtrodden and as he was accepting of the prostitutes, and, and you look at the characteristics of Jesus and the characteristics of the kingdom of God, and it's easy to go, that, yes. <laughs> but it's as if Jesus is kind of saying, you know what, you can't just admire me from afar. <laughs> you can't just admire me from afar. You can't just say, you know what, yeah, that kingdom stuff, that's really cool. It's very admirable. <laughs> and the life that Jesus li- lived, yes, that was admirable. Admirable. Can I just kind of admire it from afar and pray a little bit and stuff and maybe be okay? <laughs> Try to be a better person? And Jesus says, you know what? No. As he comes riding in Jerusalem, he says, no, there really is no middle ground here. And as we look at Scripture, there really, God doesn't leave us room for middle ground. And believe me, my non-confrontational, people-pleasing tendencies... <laughs> want to tell you that there is, but there just isn't. Because Jesus comes riding in to any city, and he comes to anybody, and he says, what will you do with me? Will you crown me? There's kind of um, a haunting verse in Revelations that I want to take a quick look at. That illustrates this point. It's Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. John has this vision of Jesus saying these things I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. It's somewhat chilling. But all throughout Scripture, we see Jesus pointing us to what will we do with him? What will we, what will we ultimately decide? Because we see Jesus say, you know, you can't serve both money and God. You can't serve both man and God. There's another place in Scripture where these people are doing these kind of Christian religious activities, but Jesus says, away from me. I, never, I don't really know you. I'm not king in your life. Another place in Scripture where Jesus says, where, where the where Scriptures say, I lay before you life and death. Now choose which one will you choose, life or death. All throughout Scripture, Jesus is confronting us with his identity. He's confronting us with who he is. And I know this might sound a little bit radical, but I think it's authentic to what the Scriptures point us to and who Jesus is. I wish there was some middle ground, but there just isn't. And I know maybe you came here today going, man, ease, dude. (laughs) I came here to hear a story about Palm Sunday and sing a few songs and go home and work in my yard. (laughs) But sometimes Jesus confronts us squarely and calls us to make a decision. And as I read the account of Palm Sunday, and his right in Jerusalem. It's clear that that's what it is. Um, so I think Jesus says that, "I am a king, but not like you think." I think He also says, "I am a savior, but not like you think." I am a savior but not like you think." He comes in on a donkey. He comes in riding gentle. He comes in riding like a servant. He doesn't come in riding like a military king. He doesn't come in riding on a horse to take over. And the disciples had to know that anybody riding into battle on a donkey was sure to be slaughtered. But that's how Jesus comes riding in. You know, the disciples that maybe at some level had to be thinking, okay, wow, this is it. It's on. He's proclaimed who he is. We're riding into Jerusalem on a donkey? <laughs> okay, somebody make a note. We need a new PR guy when we get to Jerusalem. <laughs> but that's who Jesus is. That's the Savior he is. He says, I am a Savior, but not like you think. See, because there were probably still people at the time thinking he was going to save them from Roman oppression. He was going to overturn the political structure of the time, And put them in power. And we're not unlike that. We want Jesus to change our circumstances, don't we, a lot of times? And not that that's a bad prayer. I understand that. Some of you in here today probably are in a a difficult place. A difficult job, a difficult relationship. You have health difficulties. And part of your prayer is just like, oh man, Lord, I would just love to change this circumstance I'm in. And that's not a bad prayer. That's okay. But that's not ultimately what Jesus came to do. And he might change your circumstance, and that might happen, but that's not really what he promises. Because even if Jesus would have overthrown the government of the time, and they would have had the Messiah that so many of them wanted, what would have happened? They probably would have just gone on, and and they would have been in charge, and then they would have enslaved somebody else. And then they would have been the oppressors. Why do I think that? Just because that's who we are. It's so what we do, unfortunately, because Jesus knows our heart. But I think what Jesus says here, and it's just the brilliance of Jesus as the Savior, as He says to us, as He says to these folks, "What if I change your circumstances? Okay, what if I'd completely change your circumstances? What will you do with your sin?" What will you do with your guilt? What will you do with this deep desire that you have to be loved and cherished? What will you do with that? And what about all the other things that enslave you? What about your greed and your anger and your jealousy and your pain and your lust and your addictions? And the biggest one what about yourself? Who's going to save you from yourself? And that's the brilliance of Jesus as the, as the Savior. Because he didn't overthrow by might or force. He comes riding in on a donkey, he comes riding in lowly, he comes riding in as a servant. Because, see, Jesus wants to save us from all those other things. That's what he wants to save us from. That's what he wants to redeem us from. He is the savior. He is the redeemer. He is the deliverer. From all those things that enslave us. And if he he could have got, he could have overthrown uh, the Romans, but all those other things would have still enslaved the people. And Jesus knows that, and he knows us. So here comes Jesus. He's coming with all the fanfare, with all the people praising him. He's riding on a donkey. He's riding lowly. He's riding gentle. He says he comes to you gently. But make, make no mistake, he's coming. He's coming. And he, wants, he says, what will you do with me? Will I be king and he wants to save us from all those things. He wants to save us from our pain and our guilt and our sin, our greed, our anger, our impatience. He wants to save us from all those things. And I think he comes and says, I could be so much more than you ever dreamed or imagined. I could take your life and I could make you so whole and I could make you so redeemed. I could release you from oppression that you didn't even know you had. But I must be king. I must be king. He wants to liberate us from all these things, but he must be king. Well, um, that's what I'm going to ask you to consider today. That's what Jesus, I think, asks us to consider. Will he be king What will we do with Jesus? He's forcing our hand as he's riding into Jerusalem to make some kind of a decision. There really is no middle ground. And he says, what will you do with me? And I'm not asking you to consider anything that you already haven't considered. I'm not asking you to consider, Jesus isn't asking you to consider something that you haven't already done. I guess I should say. Because every one of us has placed ultimate value in our life in something, on something. We've all done it. I'm not asking you to consider anything that you haven't already done. What do you place ultimate value on in your life? And whether you've done it consciously or subconsciously, we've all done that. Because we were created to worship. So we ultimately worship something. We have something that we ultimately worship in our life because that's what we were created for. So we've already done it. What Jesus is asking us us to consider is, will I be that ultimate thing? I don't know what you've given your uh, ultimate value to, what you ultimately worship. Career, money, a person. We all have this deep longing to be loved and accepted, and maybe you've found that in a person. They can be good things. Your family, spouse, Maybe you've ultimately pursued athletic achievement or ultimately pursued knowledge or beauty. I don't know what it is. But we've all ascribed ultimate value to something in our lives. So it's not foreign to us. It's just sometimes we don't confront ourselves with, will that be Jesus? Will that be Jesus? Well, um, band, come, come on back up. And uh, if you've been here the last four or five weeks, we've had some reflection questions in the spirit of Lent. And I've saved those for the end today. Um, so I'm going to give you some time to just reflect on what we've talked about, on Jesus' ride into Jerusalem. And I just have a few questions for you to consider. And quite honestly, maybe some folks today, this is the first time you've really, wow, I don't know that I've ever Totally made a conscious decision of what is going to be king in my life, and maybe you want that to be God. Um, we're going to have some folks up here to, if you want to pray with somebody or talk with somebody after the service, and maybe you have some more questions about what does this look like to live with Christ as king in my life, and you want to talk or pray with somebody, we're going to have some folks up here to pray with you. But I guess as I look at the scripture of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, it is confrontational. And he wants us to, you know, he's asking us, what will you do with me? Um, and I think that's a question that we all need to ask. In fact, I don't know that there's any more important question in our life than, that we answer than that question. Is there anything that defines us more than answering that question? I don't know that there is. So give you kind of time to reflect on that. Um, we're going to reflect on that, and then the band's just going to start playing our last song. And that'll be the end of our service. And again, if you want to pray with somebody, you're welcome to come up and pray or talk with someone.